Erosion Chapter 18 I must study politics and war that my sons may have liberty to study mathematics and philosophy. John Adams What the hell is going on around here, Jerry said, as Mark and Francine came through the school doors into the lobby, grandfather in tow. I'm getting calls from everywhere. Why is this town overrun with redskins? People are going crazy. What, are we having a war? What happened, Mark asked. He knew that Carl was dead from the policeman outside. Poor guys looked like spirits, covered in their plastic rain gear and soaking wet. That fucking crazy bastard killed my uncle, he said, gritting his teeth and obviously fighting tears. Now it's like Custer's last stand out there. Who told those Indians to sneak all over town? The United agreed to help look for Gary, Francine said. They know this area better than anyone. For a minute, it looked like Jerry was going to protest. Look, this is a messed up situation, and we've got to rely on all our resources. These Oneida know the woods and the mountains. We have to use them if we're going to catch this lunatic. Jerry shook his head. Who's that? This is Grandfather. Francine offered the elder Oneida to Jerry for introduction. Pleased to meet you. Grandfather extended his hand. We have a common enemy. That man killed my grandson. Jerry looked at Grandfather's offered hand. He looked up and said, Just stay out of the way. An Oneida man and two companions walked in from the rain. They were dirty and out of breath. They quickly sought out Grandfather and told him something in their language. This is Red Morning Crow, Grandfather said. He says that they've found Gary. He's at home. He's in his farmhouse, Red Morning Crow said, watching Watasatala. Jerry frowned. What the fuck is that? It's television, Red Morning Crow said. He killed three men as we tried to sneak up on him. The door is wide open, like he's waiting for someone. He looks defenseless, but he has many weapons with him, including a rifle and shotgun. So much for the knife. Not your typical serial killer, Francine said. Jerry sneered. Not in the least, he said. There's still a bunch of farmers who didn't make the crossing that are holed up over there. We have no police on that side of the river either. They're trapped with that redskin psycho nutbag. So what do we do? Mark asked. There's only a few ways out of there and they're all flooded, Jerry said. All the bridges for 30 miles are washed out. The footpath we use is still open. We can use that path. It goes through the reservation. We have to walk? We'll drive as far as the river, Grandfather said. Then we have to cross on foot. It's a dangerous crossing, Red Morning Crow said. We have no choice. That's the only way. How long is the hike? We ran back in 20 minutes. About two miles in the rain, Jerry asked. Red Morning Crow smiled. Three. About. Shit, you Reds can run. Okay, let's grab some gear and get going. When they drove into the reservation as far as they can go, they got out of their trucks and inspected the river. A sharp drop fell off where the water and the debris eroded the side down. We can't cross here, someone said. What about the lifelines, Mark asked Jerry. Are they still up? Jerry thought for a moment. Should be there. 
I have gear, but we'll have to climb across. Too dangerous. We'll use the footbridge, Grandfather said. Come. He led them up a trail that followed the river until they reached a stone bridge that reached across a narrow part of the river. Grandfather explained that the water was usually five feet or so below the bridge. Water sloshed over the sides and threatened to take the whole thing away with it. Will this be here when we get back, Francine asked. Grandfather shrugged. It's a strong bridge, but the rain is strong too. I guess we will find out who is better. Oneidas, at making strong bridges, or nature, at tearing them down. That's great, Mark said. He knew that Grandfather was joking to ease the tension, but there was truth in his words. The bridge looked like it would crumble any minute. Let's cross, Jerry said, testing the first step. We'll worry about the little details later. Hold this. He handed Mark a yellow cord with metal D-rings on the end. Wrap it around that tree and hand me the other end, Jerry said. Mark did as he was told. The nylon cord was strong, used for mountain climbing, the same type he used before rescuing some of the farmers crossing the river. He tried not to think of the outcome from that crossing. The expanse was long. Jerry made his way across the bridge like walking a tightrope. He held the thick cord, wrapping it around his arms. Come on! They each took turns crossing, holding onto the rope as the water pulled at their boots. When everyone was across, Jerry staked the other side down and then shrugged. If it's here, we might use it to get back, or someone else can use it to cross, he said. In the distance, beyond a stand of trees, was an open field. Further, sat a small farmhouse and barn barely visible above the muddy rise, a gray blob in the rain on the horizon. Is that it? Francine asked. That's his place, Jerry said. Mark recognized it. This is Rich Grayson's old farm, right? Yeah, Gary bought it years ago. I remember this place butted up against the river and the reservation. There's more land on the other side. Any chance of sneaking up on him, Francine said? He can't protect all sides at once, Jerry said. But he'll probably never see us coming in this rain. Jerry looked over their little party. They had two armed Oneida, Jerry's partner, two other officers, Red Morning Crow, Grandfather, Francine, and Mark. Mark and I will take the front of the house with you two. He pointed to the two officers. Hal and you, he pointed to one of the Oneida and Red Morning Crow, will go by this side and Grandfather, Francine, and the last little Indian will go by the back. He'll see us coming, Grandfather said. As long as we don't hear any shooting, we're fine. On my word, we'll split up and make for the house, okay? This is some plan, Francine moaned. It's all I got right now, Jerry said. And right now, this rain is pissing me off. I'd like to get going instead of just standing here. Francine nodded her head apologetically. Mark didn't like their chances either, but they had no other choice. Gary was waiting for someone to get him, and it might as well be them. Each had his own individual gripe with the guy. They began walking across the field. Each step was like putting his foot down in a minefield. He never knew when that first shot would come. The house loomed large, and he looked at Jerry, who stared intently ahead. He was so determined that Mark imagined raindrops sizzling off his head as they hit, evaporating from the heat of pure anger. Carlton meant a lot to Jerry. He was a mentor in the police force and a surrogate father to his own. His aunt's importance faded from his memory over the years, so up to that point, it never occurred to him to be angry with Gary on a personal level. 
Seeing Jerry's face made it somehow boil up inside of him. He was angry. The only person in the Lalo family who ever showed the least bit of sympathy for him because of his parents' death was his aunt. As cold as she was to everyone else, she was apparent to him. If he had been holding anything, he would have gripped it tightly, squeezing the imprints of his fingers into it. Instead, he balled his hands up into fists, hoping to get a chance to run into Gary Connors again. A sideways glance took in all of his companions. He wondered what they were thinking as they approached. There was only one window on the second floor, and it looked like the curtains were drawn, although it was hard to see in the rain. The house stood still, no creaks or grumbles as houses sometimes do. It was quiet. Let's go, Jerry said. They ran for the house. A porch separated the yard from the door and windows. There was a body lying on the steps to the porch, one of the Anita who tried to get into the house before. A television blared from inside. If he was watching, that was good because he'd be distracted. And with the volume up, he wouldn't hear anything. Mark whispered that fact to Jerry, who agreed. They crept up to the edge, and Jerry hoisted himself up over the rails. He crouched below the window. Mark watched through the spindles as he peeked into one window, then made his way over to the open front door. There was a gunshot. Jerry fell in front of the door, blood pouring from his body over the wooden boards of the porch. Mark turned back to see if the officers saw it, but they were gone. Back on the porch, the men were creeping in from the other side. He reached Jerry's body and grabbed his gun. In a quick movement, he shot into the open front door and tossed the gun at Mark. Another shot rang out, and then the officer added his body to the stairway. Mark made a motion, but refused to cry out. Jerry was dead, and so was the other officer. There was still one other officer left. He took a few breaths to calm himself down. He held the heavy gun tight to his body. The cold from it went right through his rain gear into his chest. His heart raced. The television droned from somewhere inside the house, mixing with the rain. Gary wasn't distracted at all. He was waiting for them the whole time. What was the purpose? Who was he waiting for? Somewhere on the other side of the house were Francine and Morning Crow with Jerry's partner. He had a name, but Mark couldn't remember it. Which one of them was his intended victim? A chill ran through his body that had nothing to do with the cold or the rain. He was the next victim. It had to be. He was the only one left that Gary knew personally, and he was a Lalo. Although he regretted the teasing that he gave Gary in high school, he had no wish to die for it. There must be some other type of retribution that he could make as a Lalo for the sin committed against Gary by his family. He'd make amends to the Anita. He'd speak out against his own family and try to make it right. But he was damned if he was going to let Gary kill him or, God forbid, Francine. Was I just praying? It was a long time since he prayed for anything. As long as he was in the mood, he decided to go all the way. Help me, Lord. Please protect Francine. He heard three shots, then a struggle from inside the house. That was all he needed to get his nerve up. If they were in trouble, he might be able to help. He leapt up the stairs and thrust Jerry's gun through the open doorway. In the quick movement he had to register the scene, he saw a very simple yet elegant design. Nothing like what he expected. It was decorated as if it were in a true working farmhouse but meant to imitate one. 
Unexpected or out of place was the disheveled and grungy-looking Gary, standing with a shotgun aimed at Francine's head. She was shivering. Tears may have been streaming down her face, but he couldn't tell through the rain and wetness. He just assumed they were. Gary? He shook his head, but didn't otherwise move. Let her go. You have me here. I know you want me next. Gary didn't move or speak. That's why you killed my aunt, isn't it? To get revenge on the Lalos, to draw me here. I give you no credit for thinking of that. I did not arrange this to happen. The world has its own mind. I am connected to the Earth, and the Earth desires revenge for the evil done to the Oneida. We were given this land by the Great Spirit, and the white man came and took it from us. We now will regain the divine right. It sounded like he was reciting lines from a play. It wasn't quite sincere. Was there anything human left in his mind? He had to find something to bring Gary back to humanity, enough to release Francine. Mark just... She tried to speak, but he forced the gun into her throat, making her choke. Don't! Mark screamed. What happened is unfortunate, white man. But you have brought it on yourselves by the way your family treated the Oneida. This is their rightful land. The Great Spirit gave it to them when the world was new. I am an instrument of his vengeance. You think that the bad spirit was born of his own mind? You think anything happens without the Great Spirit's design? I am here because the Great Spirit needs me. If it were up to my good brother, then the Oneida would be dust, washed away to the ocean as silt on the bottom of the great water. But we are not. There were obvious delusions going on there. Mark remembered the story. Gary thought of himself as the bad spirit brother. Brother spirit, he asked. Gary nodded. How is it that you judge innocents such as this Oneida here and that white woman to be part of this evil? They had nothing to do with it. The Oneida were working with the white men. They were worse than white men. They are traitors to the people of the Standing Stone. The women are supposed to usurp the chiefs who would have an evil mind. The white women lay back in their beds and take what the evil men give to them without voice. And then they go around calling Oneida savage? They call us pagans? We who believe in the spirit of the world and the spirit of the first people as one? One with the earth? One with the great spirit of the sky? It's been a long time since the world was formed, Mark said. Many things have changed. Some white men and Oneida are friends. Some have learned from the evil. Then the Oneida are traitors and the white men are fools, because the sin can never be absolved, except through death. I fear no death, because I am one with the earth. I am connected to all that you see. You were once a friend to the white men. You even married one of their women. Her mother was white, and her father was Oneida, so she was white. Gary was stone silent. His face did not show any expression, but Mark read that silence as some kind of spark. Isn't it true that you loved her? She betrayed me. Yes, but you loved her. He relaxed and let the shotgun drop from Francine's throat a little. I do love her. I once lived in the white man's world. I saw the images on Watasatala, and I desired them. I am guilty too. I lost my way as well. 
What about that Oneida boy, John, that you killed? Yes, he knew my heart. He would have tried to stop me. I had to kill him too. So you committed a betrayal against the Oneida. I'm not innocent, Gary said, clearly confused. I am an avenging spirit. Then come to me. Let her go, Mark shouted. The wolf is behind you now, Gary said. Mark turned slightly to see what the hell Gary was talking about. There was nothing behind him. He thought it was some trick. The avenging spirit has left me. From around the house came all types of distorted creatures. Their faces were twisted into convoluted expressions. They wore feathers in their headdresses and were naked except boots and small animal skin skirts that covered their lower areas. They began chanting and singing as they danced about. Holy shit, Mark said too loud. What the fuck, he added, not able to help himself. He took a step back, thought to run, but remembered Francine and stopped. Gary looked back and forth in fear as the spirit danced around his house, closing in on his windows and doors. Mark wasn't sure what to do. He didn't want these Indian spirits to hurt Francine. Distracted by the howling figures, Francine was able to turn a little in Gary's grip. Mark saw her plead with Gary, but he just looked at her in fear. The singing figures closed in, and Mark panicked. He held his gun up. There was a shot from behind Gary. Mark flinched, covering his face. He cracked a window next to the doorway. Grandfather stood there with a gun, aimed unsteadily. His face was set in determination. Before Mark could do anything, another shot rang out, and again he completely missed. Francine broke free and ran to Mark. Gary turned around and quickly shot at Grandfather. Smoke blew from the blast, obscuring the scene. Francine was closer, and he knew she was going to be alright until he saw her stumble and fall out of the doorway. It seemed an eternity afterward that he heard the crack of the gun and the look on her face registered that she'd been shot. She fell forward, wriggling to get further away. The scene slowed down for Mark. The spirit still danced around, closing in on Gary. Mark heard a low groan. He thought it was thunder, until he felt a presence behind him. He looked to see a wolf staring past him at Gary with knowing eyes, growling. Something flew past Mark and woke him from his visions. Gary was shooting, the smoke drifting on the wet air around him. Mark dropped to his knees and fired wildly. Then the gun clicked, evidencing the chamber was empty. He saw that at least one had struck true. Gary lay face down in his house, unmoving. Mark's breath and his heart kept time in quarter seconds. The singing stopped. The figures still looking down at Gary. Some removed their faces. Underneath were the ordinary faces of Oneida. Men in masks. It was a ceremony. He remembered Francine. He went to her. He lifted her head. Fear painted her face along with the mud. There was a bloody spot on her thigh. You'll be all right, he said, not having the faintest clue if what he said was true or not. It stopped raining, she whispered. Mark looked up, and for the first time since coming back to Canyon Park, he saw red streaks of sunlight break through gray clouds. Grandfather walked out of the house, and Mark was relieved. He was sure Gary had blown him away. The Oneida following behind. Some hadn't taken off their masks. Mark thought of an Indian carnival 
where these twisted masked men stood in for the clowns, Grandfather the Ringmaster. Grandfather bent down to Francine when he approached. These are false faces to scare off evil spirits, he said, knowing that Mark was confused. How? I told them to prepare. They followed us here. What about the shotguns? He shot you. The bad spirit has very poor aim. Look, Mark said, nodding up to the sky. Grandfather looked up. A bird flew by the sun, blocking out the rays for a moment, and then the brightness returned. A bow stretched across the sky, out to the unseen distance. The turtle has gone back into his shell, Grandfather said. The eagle flies home to the mountains. Is it done? Francine asked through grunts of pain. One never knows the full expanse of the great spirit's anger, but the bow is in the sky. It is said that it is his promise that he will forgive us forever. Warm sunlight glided over Mark's face for the first time in a very long time. He suddenly reclaimed something. It covered him with every gentle ray of the sun. There was the honest goodness again. It spread itself over the fields, the hard mountains and the forest. It sopped up the rain, the malevolence. He absorbed it into his body. I once was lost But now I am found Was blind But now I see T'was grace that taught My heart to fear And grace my fears Relieved How precious Did That grace Appear The hour I first Believed When we've Been there Ten thousand Years Bright shining as the sun We've no less days To sing God's praise Than when we first begun Amazing grace How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I am found. Was blind, but now I see. Was blind. This I would do if I found anyone burdened with grief, even as I am. I would console them, for they would be covered with night and wrapped in darkness. 
This I would lift with words of condolence, and these strings of beads would become words with which I would address them. Hyenwatha. Francine sat in her sob, engine idling, admiring the way the sun reflected off the paint on the hood over the abstract curves of the body, waiting for Mark to come out of his motel. The door opened to the lobby and Mark walked out carrying his bags. He threw the bag into the back seat and opened the side door. Ready, Mark said, settling in next to her in the passenger seat of her sob. You know, Francine said, adjusting her rearview mirror, this whole experience just made me think that there's something missing in my life that's so obvious. It's right there, but I can't see it. Just like I had the Oneida right there all the time, and I never bothered to ever find out about them. I thought I was too smart and cultured for this place, but it turns out I'm not cultured enough. Who could know everything, Mark said. No one. I know that. But that's just one big glaring error on my part. Don't be so hard on yourself. Maybe it was the uh, turtle keeping you down. Funny, she said. No, I mean this whole thing. It had nothing to do with me. Absolutely nothing. In reality, it was all about Gary Connors. And he dragged everyone into it. But I'm glad. Not for the people who died. Not for your aunt. But I'm glad that I didn't go through this thing like the rest of them in Canyon Park ignorant. Mark shook his head. Yeah, I know what you mean. I almost didn't come after the funeral, but something inside me told me I needed to go. So Anne was good to you after all, Francine said. More than I ever knew. She seemed so mean when I was young. Very quiet. She never mentioned my family much, especially my parents. I always thought that was part of her bitterness, but it turns out she saved me. When my parents died, she took me in. She rescued me from my grandfather, knowing what he was like and his sickness. She also spared me the pain of finding out what really happened to my parents, that my father's own father had he and my mother killed. I mean, I barely know them, but I guess that's good. Can you imagine how fucked up I'd have been if I knew all that? Sometimes, ignorance is bliss, Francine said. I guess Anne wasn't so mean after all. I feel guilty now because I never knew how good she really was to me. How she must have loved me so much to keep those secrets to herself and live with them all those years, never letting them out. That explains her taste in old gothic and romantic novels, Francine said. I came here for selfish reasons, Mark said, but it turned into the most unselfish thing I ever did in my life. I learned a lot about so many people I spent my whole life around. People I thought I could never know any more about or ever want to. And of course you met me again, Francine said, and started the car. The engine rumbled making her muscles vibrate. It was like a full massage. Felt heavenly to drive her sob. She had closed the library down, at least temporarily, so she could take this trip down to New York City with Mark. So what do you think of what Grandfather said about leaving the bones of your father? I want to bury my bones in a new place, Mark said. Eventually, years from now, people in some other place will never know these Lalos. They will only remember me and my children. He put a pair of sunglasses on. Where'd you get those, she asked. I brought them with me from New York, just in case I needed them. Francine put the car into gear and drove out of Canyon Park. The End
have been listening to Erosion by Lon S. Cohen. To find out more, please visit www.coincide.blogspot.com. This patio book is a production of Zilco Studios. <laughs> this production is a production. I didn't use her enough. Okay.